I would probably be sparing those unkind words for them, to be honest with you. Now, I know you're more spiritual than I am, and you probably wouldn't think that way, but that's me and my fleshliness, how I would think. But notice what Paul said. At the end of verse 18, he said, only that in every way, whether in pretense, that would be those preaching Christ out of envy and strife, or in truth, that is those preaching Christ out of love and affection. Note this, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You get the picture here? The first thing I want you to see is that Paul's ambition is that Christ be preached. Paul was so absorbed with the desire that the gospel of Jesus Christ be furthered. He was so absorbed with the ambition that the message of Jesus Christ be proclaimed. And you can give that another click there, Sue. There you go. He was so interested that Christ be preached that he was willing that Christ be preached regardless of the motives of the preachers. Now, I do think we need to be careful to clarify so that you do not misunderstand that Paul was endorsing the unchrist-like motives of the antagonists. Look back at verse 15. He said, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Paul uses those same words in chapter 2 when he specifically instructed the Christians in Philippi to not do anything from envy and rivalry. So clearly he's not endorsing or saying that it's okay that these folk are doing what they're doing out of envy and rivalry. In fact, he went on to say that um, these former ones were preaching Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So I want to clarify that he's not endorsing, he's not uh, approving of their wrong ambitions. What he is approving of the fact what he is approving of, rather, is the fact that either way, the message of the gospel was being preached. Even if it was through impure motives, Christ was being preached. And in that, Paul said, I rejoice. My challenge to you folks this morning is that if we could learn, and I'm preaching to myself as much as to you, because as I just admitted to you, I would have a hard time rejoicing in the impure motives of antagonists preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just the truth. I'm not as sanctified as Paul was at this point in his life. I hope to someday be, but I'm still not there yet. But if we could get to the point where our ambition, our true desire in life was simply that Christ be preached, then we would truly be living worthy as citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we would indeed be standing together for the cause of Christ, striving together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I understand that Mike has uh, challenged you uh, with giving out, what is it, three tracks a week, is it? I know Jenny was relating to me some of her methods for getting some of those tracks out to her fellow sidewalk users. That's a little personal joke between us. We, we, treat, we tricked uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Tease, that's it. We tease her about the new sidewalk in uh, Whitehall. I call it the Jenny Phillips Memorial Sidewalk. <clears throat> There's a whole story behind all that I won't take the time to get into, but we have a lot of fun about it, don't we? At any rate, I know Micah has challenged you to be giving out tracks. Now, why is that? Because those tracks, I trust, contain the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, he has challenged you to be giving out the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would challenge you that if our ambition were to really become like Paul's, that Christ be preached, we wouldn't have any difficulty in finding ways to be giving out the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be in print or spoken form. Well, Paul desired that Christ be preached. He desired it so much that he could overlook and not be dismayed by the impure motives of some of the preachers simply because Christ was being preached. But there's more to what Paul desired. There's another ambition that he shares with us. He went on to say at the end of verse 18, as we progress into verses 19 through 26, he said, yes, and I will rejoice. That is, as he said earlier, I rejoice that Christ is preached. Yes, and I will rejoice, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, he's already spoken about his current circumstances, as we said, being under house arrest, not being certain as to his future, though, as we'll see here in these few verses, having a, some level of confidence that he would, in fact, be freed. So he wanted them to know that he believed that through their prayers, and as he called it, the help of the Spirit, that is, the work of the Spirit of God, probably not only in the hearts of believers, but also in the hearts of unbelievers. Remember that the Old Testament tells us that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. One of the fundamental truths that I think you find in the Old Testament scriptures is that the sovereign God, who is our Father, controls all the secular affairs of this world. All those godless rulers of our world who think that they are acting on their own are actually only acting under the sovereign plan of God. You find it in the Old Testament prophets time and again that God controls them all. And so when Paul here speaks about the help of the Spirit, he's probably talking about the Spirit of God manipulating the thought processes, the mind, the heart attitude of the Roman emperor to bring about his release. And in fact, that is exactly what happened historically. He said, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. By the way, before I go on to the remainder of that sentence, remember what he said earlier? To stand together for the cause of Christ required that they not be intimidated by the adversaries of Christ. Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. He could say that because he himself had not been frightened by his opponents. He was not, as he said here, in any way ashamed, not at all ashamed, he said, that I will not at all be at all ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored 
in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's second ambition, as we see in these verses, is not only that Christ be preached, but also that Christ be magnified. That Christ be glorified. Whether it was through his release and his freedom and his opportunity to go on preaching Christ more, or whether it be through his death. Either way, Paul saw it as a win-win for Christ because he saw it as a victory in which Christ would be magnified. In fact, he goes on to explain in verse 21, those of you who, um, who were there when, uh, when my first wife Jody passed away, you may not remember this, but at her viewing, I had her Bible open to this passage, and I had this verse underlined and read. Philippians 1.21, for Paul explained to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's a short, succinct sentence, but it's a profound truth. You get it? For me to live is Christ. Paul is saying, if I do get to experience freedom, if I am to be released, and I get the opportunity to go out and freely preach the gospel of Jesus Christ again, if I go on living, it will be for the glory of Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Uh, one of our co-workers at your bulletin board said goodbye to her mom. In fact, we'll say goodbye officially this afternoon. I believe the funeral is uh, this afternoon at 1 o'clock. In fact, some of you uh, may remember the Robins from uh, Marion Independent Baptist Church. Mrs. Robbins passed away uh, Wednesday evening, I think it was. And um, so I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this passage, in fact, that at the moment that we breathe our last, at the moment we close our eyes and the spirit of life within these tabernacles of ours, departs. I believe spiritually we open our eyes. I picture it this way, kind of like dozing off. I know you all, well, no. I know some of you are like me and you can doze off, right? You're sitting there in your comfortable chair reading and all of a sudden you realize that you're drooling on whatever it is you're reading because you've dozed off. You know, your eyes close and then they open back up. I picture death being something like that, where your eyes close, but they open back up, but when they open back up, they open up to a new reality. Because as Paul said elsewhere, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. That's exactly what he explains, explains here when he, when he goes on to explain that to die is gain. Because he said in verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell, which I always think that's kind of a funny little statement. I chuckle at it because I believe none of us actually choose the moment of our death. I'm convinced from the scriptures that God alone gives and takes life. I believe that the moment of a person's conception and birth are in his hands 
and the moment of their death is in his hands as well. That's my personal conviction. So therefore, could Paul really choose between the two? Not really. So I think what he's actually saying is, if I could choose, I'm not sure what I would choose. Before he went on to explain, I am hard-pressed in verse 23 between the two. My desire, note this, is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. I think that is similar to what we just quoted a moment ago when he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I think it is what I was describing for you earlier where we depart, our eyes close. The spirit of life within us slips away. But immediately, we go to be with Christ. To depart, he said, and be with Christ, he said, that is far better. Folks, I'm afraid that sometimes we get so caught up in, we get so attached to this physical world that, which is understandable if you think about it, it's all we really know, right? I mean, I, I turned 50 this year. I know that's a shocker. Let me tell you what else. When I came to Galilean Baptist Church 18 years ago, Ray and Linda were new, brand new grandparents. Now, they're not so new grandparents anymore, I know that. But I can't believe it, but I am married to a grandmother. As many of you know, Adria gave birth to our first grandson back in March of this year. So I've I've swapped roles with Ray and Linda. They're now the seasoned grandparents, and I'm the new grandparent like they were back then. Now, why did I tell you that? Oh, because in my 50 years of existence, I digress. Because in my 50 years of existence, this is the only existence I've known, right? It's the only existence you've known. So it's understandable, in a sense, that we get so attached to this physical world because that's all we've really ever known, apart from the theoretical sense in which we've come to know the, the reality of the spirit, the spirit world, if you will. But let me suggest to you that if we would learn to realize that what awaits us is far better than what we've ever experienced and ever will experience in our meager existence here on this earth, however long it may be. If we could really say like Paul that to depart and be with Christ is in fact and indeed far better, then we would also be able to say to die is gain. You see, that takes away, as the scriptures put it, the sting of death. Paul used that expression in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is taken away by the victory of Jesus Christ, which is our ability to be present with Christ and his future resurrection of these mortal bodies. At any rate, Paul wanted us to understand. He wanted the Christians of Philippi to understand that his desire was that Christ be magnified, whether by life or by death. Whether it was that he be freed to go on preaching the gospel or whether he should be executed and immediately stand face to face with his Savior. While he said that he wasn't sure which way he would choose, he also said in verse 24 that to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
and convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your prayers and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. As I've said a couple of times already, and here's the reason why, we see that Paul, though he wasn't certain, did seem to have a fairly high level of confidence that as a result of their prayers and as a result of the sovereign work of God by his spirit, even in the hearts and minds of an unbelieving emperor, he would be released and have an opportunity to freely minister again. And that is historically what we're told exactly what happened. He was released. He did have more years of fruitful ministry. It was then that he wrote his letters to Timothy and to Titus, but then was ultimately rearrested and ultimately executed for the cause of Christ. But note here at this point, Paul's two ambitions. It is that Christ be preached and that Christ be magnified. What I'm wanting you to see this morning, folks, is that those are the two ambitions that make us worthy as citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we, in our hearts and minds and the desires and the things that we devote ourselves to and strive for and seek after, could really learn like Paul to be so wrapped up in the proclamation of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and so desirous that he be exalted glorified regardless of what may happen to us in order for that to happen that is whether we live or die <clears throat> then we will be truly citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that's the politics that I said I wanted to talk with you about this morning it's not the politics of Democrat Republican independent or libertarian Mountain Party, or whatever other party you want to come up with. But it's the politics of the Christian citizen. It's the politics of your greater citizenship, which is in the kingdom of Christ. And my encouragement to you is that together we would strive to have a greater ambition for these two things. Now let me say as I bring this to a conclusion, as I said earlier, I've deliberately addressed and directed this message to those that I believe to be or assume to be believers in Jesus Christ. Meaning, I'm assuming that I'm speaking to people who have already, at some point in your life, come to understand the message of the gospel that I've been talking about this morning. Paul summarizes that message in this way, in essence. First of all, you and I are sinners before a perfectly holy and righteous God. All have sinned, Paul said in his letter to the Romans. There is none righteous, no, not one. And that that sin results in death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the solution to that sin is through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. He is, as Paul puts it, as well as John in 1 John chapter 1, the propitiation for our sins. And that big fancy word that we don't use very often in our common language, or conversation means simply the satisfaction of the just wrath of God. Jesus Christ, who lived a sinlessly holy life, was the only worthy substitute to offer his life up on our behalf. And because he did, God can righteously grant you forgiveness 
But it comes about through your response of faith in Jesus Christ. And what that simply means is not only that you believe in Jesus Christ. I believed in Jesus Christ for a long time before I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Mark and I were talking about this earlier, our common roots in uh, other kinds of churches. I'll just leave it at that. I believed in the reality of Jesus Christ for a long time. But it wasn't until I was 17 years old that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed and I finally understood the necessity of my personally trusting in Jesus Christ. And I usually think of it this way. It's like doing what every one of you here are doing right now. You're sitting in a chair. You've put your faith in that chair because you've, you've sat down on it. You've rested on it. You are resting on it. You didn't check it out to see if it would hold you up. You just came in and plopped yourself down. The same thing is what we do with Jesus Christ. We hear the message, we believe it to be true, and we, by faith, embrace Him and we trust Him and Him alone for God's forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. That's the message of the Gospel. And the promise of the Word of God is that if you trust in Jesus Christ, if you, by faith, believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will be born again. You will come into this newness of life and you will become one of those citizens of the kingdom of Christ. If you've never before made that decision, I'd encourage you and ask you to consider doing so today. Father, I thank you for the privilege to share this wonderful truth, this wonderful text with your people. I thank you, Father, for this church and how near and dear it is to my heart and the part that it played in a significant chapter in my life. And I pray, Father, for it in this chapter of its life. And I ask, Father, that as the faithful folks here look forward to the coming of Brother Solomon and his assistance in helping the church get back on its feet, and as I look forward to a new future, new days ahead, a new chapter, I ask, Father, that you would lay for this body a foundation, a foundation of this great ambition that we saw in Paul, that Christ be preached and that Christ be magnified. And Father, I ask if there's anyone here that hasn't yet trusted in Christ as their Savior, I ask that your spirit would work now and that you would bring them now to faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray.